Indonesia, a nation of islands, more than 14,000 according to the official count, containing the world's third largest rainforest, Indonesia is the second most biodiverse nation on the planet. More than 700 languages still spoken here. It's even from Indonesia that we get our words like ketchup and Java, site of the largest volcanic eruption on record. Home to the endangered Sumatran tiger and orangutan and the world's largest lizard, the Komodo dragon. Known for gamelan orchestras, Indonesia is also where Lina Chandra works. She's my guest today on the Edge of Adventure podcast, and she founded a facility called Rachel House that works to provide care for children in this part of the world who are suffering from terminal and life-limiting illnesses. Who are from the marginalized communities, um, and these are from some of the poorest areas in Jakarta. The team of nurses at Rachel House bring hope and relief to these children and to their families as they work tirelessly toward their dream that no child would ever have to live or die in pain. This is where adventure meets purpose where we get to know those who live life beyond status quo. My name is Adam Asher, and this is the Edge of Adventure podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is the Edge of Adventure. My name is Adam Asher. My privilege to introduce you to some unsung heroes doing great work around the world, serving other people, people who have often been forgotten otherwise. And today it's my privilege and pleasure to introduce to you Lena Chandra. And she's joining us from Rachel House in Indonesia. Lena, welcome to the program. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for having me. It's great to meet you. And we're going to learn today about Rachel House and about the type of care that you and your team provide in Indonesia. Rachel House, it's... Uh nonprofit organization in Indonesia. We provide palliative care essentially to alleviate pain and symptoms for children living with terminal illnesses like cancer and HIV who are from the marginalized communities um, and these are from some of the poorest areas in Jakarta. And often because Jakarta is the capital city, they will have come from all over Indonesia seeking treatment in Jakarta. So, Lena, there's quite a few different aspects of what you do and perhaps different challenges that these communities face. And so I'm going to do my best to make sure that we get to all of these different aspects because I think they're very, very meaningful. But, Lena, let's start first and put into perspective you're the founder and you're uh, a trustee and you've been doing this now for 15 years. Yes, why you? What? How did this start? Wow. In 2004, a friend of mine, Rachel, passed away from cancer. And uh, I walked the final journey of uh, her life with her, probably the last two years. And 
Rachel showed me that there is a lot of life left, even when you're living with an illness. But Rachel was blessed with a lot of wealth. And after she died, I asked myself, how would people live if they had no money, if they have nothing? So I started, that started my journey to go through a lot of the hospitals in Bangkok, in Indonesia, in India. And what I saw was quite horrific. And particularly in the last part of the journey in my search, uh, that was in Indonesia. I walked through a ward with 40 kids, almost all of them screaming. And I asked the doctor, why are they all screaming in pain? And she said, well, because painkillers are expensive. And it's 100,000 rupiah per shot. It's $10. And so that started my journey thinking, well, if I, I can do $10 a shot. And I could have all of these children in a hospice if I could build a 60-bed hospice. And at that time, I thought I would build a building. And um, along the way, what we discovered was it's not a building. It's not the painkillers. It's the fact that people no longer saw pain. People didn't treat pain. Pain was considered as something that you would have to go through towards a curative treatment. So it was a mindset change. So it wasn't as simple as building a building. It was about changing the way people look at pain, opening hearts to see that pain need not take place. People didn't need to be left in pain. Lena Chandra is my guest today here on The Edge of Adventure, and she's joining us from Rachel House, Indonesia. She's uh, currently in Singapore, and we're getting to know Rachel House. And of course, you'll be able to find out more by going to theedgeofadventure.com, and you'll find a corresponding post with all their details. So you'll be able to go there and find them and their different social media, so on and so forth. But Lena, let's get a couple of uh, definitions, I guess, out of the way here, because and one of the things that I like the most about my job is I ask questions. I mean, there's so much in the world to learn, and you're an expert in, in this area, and I'm not. And so you've even used a term that I want to be sure everybody understands, and it's palliative care, palliative care. When you say that, and we talk about the fact that that's what Rachel House provides, what type of care is that? Palliative care is a line of medicine medical care that aims at improving the quality of life of somebody who has been diagnosed with an illness. It doesn't seek to cure as much as it seeks to alleviate the symptoms and alleviate either the physical symptoms as well as the emotional and spiritual issues or burdens of someone going through the journey of illness. Importantly, it doesn't just look at the patient as the only person within the sphere of care, but also the family, which is part of the entire journey when someone is sick and the family members are equally as important and probably going through life-changing and um, or huge changes in their lives when they're caring for the patient. So in essence, uh, palliative care seeks to improve the quality of life of the patient and the family. Lena, my question would be, are most or all of the patients that Rachel House attends to, are they all living with a terminal illness? I mean, to obviously, to some degree, 
they are dealing with pain and living with pain, what percentage would you say are actually suffering from a terminal illness? 100%. So Rachel House looks after children under the age of 18 years old. Two major categories of our patients are children living with cancer and children living with HIV, AIDS. I know typically in the world we look at HIV today as a chronic illness rather than terminal illness. However, in Indonesia, among the population of patients we look after, the demographics, they are from the poorest parts of the Indonesia and um, lacking in economic and financial abilities, many of these children uh, struggle with malnutrition and uh, parents struggle with daily income, daily putting food on their table. Most of our patients, their family earn about $2 a day and um, pandemic has incredibly crushed their lives. So 100% of our children are living with terminal illnesses and about 40% are children with cancer and uh, the remaining children with HIV, AIDS and other congenital illnesses. And we're seeing a picture, again, if you're watching the video version, you get to see the pictures and I encourage everybody to check them out. Also, as you, when you get a chance, you can go to rachel-house.org and get to know them a bit more. And again, we'll have links on theedgeofadventure.com for that. But here in this picture, we see uh, an image uh, with a board. It looks like a chalkboard of sorts. And then someone, I don't know who, because we just, we don't see who it is, but we see someone writing, I'm guessing it looks like maybe a name or something on this chalkboard. And then on the back of the person's shirt, it says, no child should ever have to live or die in pain. So here's a two-pronged question. Tell me a little bit about this objective or this vision that you have that no child should ever have to live or die in pain. Tell me about that. And then also, for the sake of the viewers, help us know what this chalkboard is. So no one or no child should ever have to live or die in pain is Rachel House's vision. Our dream is that by the time we're done, that no child in Indonesia will ever have to live or die in pain. I think when, when I established Rachel House in 2006, having seen that ward of children screaming in pain, there is an incredible conviction that pain is not necessary, to, especially untreated pain. I think it basically spoke to that child within me who was left alone and screamed in pain when I was a little girl. And uh, I didn't know it then, but there's so many of us start something that basically initially answers to the call of our own pain. Um, that's another story for another time, but that's what the vision of Rachel House is. And that's what we have been holding the torch for since we were established. That board is actually called the living wall. And in Indonesian, that the lady here on the, on the screen, uh, she's expressing what she would do if she had one more day to live. Or if this was her last day, what would she do? So the reason why we established the living wall, rather than... Um, I think there is another wall called If I Had One More Day to Live for Rachel House. We wanted 
the community, death and dying is such a taboo. I think all over the world, but especially so in Indonesia, even among the doctors, they're unwilling to discuss death. Sometimes we, we train a whole room full of doctors and nurses, and whenever we bring up the topic of death, everyone shushes down because it's, it might invite death into the room. And so we really wanted to bring death to the community so that people can begin to talk about what they would like their last days to look like. And eventually we would hope to direct people to be able to say, I don't want to be left in pain. I know death is part of the process of life, but I really don't want to be left in pain. And what do we do about that? Lena Chandra is my guest today here on the Edge of Adventure. She's joining us from Rachel House in Indonesia. She is the founder. She's a trustee. She is a visionary and a leader for this organization. Let's talk about the organization a little bit. How many doctors, how many nurses? Of course, we're getting to know you for the first time, getting to know Rachel House for the first time. How large of an operation is this? We're a small operation. Um, we're a group of 20 and uh, made up of nurses and the support staff. When we began the journey, we did have doctors among our staff members, but Eventually, the idea is to uplift the ability of nurses to care for patients. And if we're going to emancipate nurses then and change the way nurses work, then I felt at that time that we really needed to have an operation free of doctors within the immediate organization. We have doctors as consultants. Um, they have remained our consultants in the last 15 years. But Rachel House is nurse-led, most importantly. And I guess as a result of what we have learned in the last 15 years, we've become an advocate and a champion for nurses to lead the care of patients and to actually be able to speak confidently on behalf of their patients to advocate for the, their care to doctors to hospitals, and uh, to coordinate that care. Lena, we've been going through some definitions or some concepts to make sure that uh, listeners and the viewers understand just how important this is and to get to fully understand what Rachel House is doing on a daily basis. We've talked about palliative care. We understand what it is now. We've established that Rachel House focuses on children with terminal illnesses children with terminal illnesses in pain. Another thing that I've noticed as I've done research is on, on you guys is that you focus, and I think you've even mentioned it here, that the communities that you seek to help and in particular to provide care for are what you have called marginalized communities. And what is a marginalized community? Often we try to find so many terminology to describe a community of people who perhaps are underserved. And we struggle with finding words to describe that community as a group without compromising their dignity. So marginalized is basically, for us, a group of people who have been perhaps forgotten 
when laws or rules or healthcare was established in our case. And um, people who have been pushed aside as perhaps not important because they, we often used to say because they don't have a voice, but I think that's not quite correct. It's just that their voice has not been heard. And uh, so for us, the marginalized communities are the people who are demographically poor and have no access to care, not because hospitals are not available, but because they can't access that hospital just the, by sheer inability to pay for transportation. They earn $2 a day and then transport to the hospital to take their uh, sick child to the hospital will be $8. And so these are the demographics of people we look after. Lena, it is so important, and I appreciate how you answered that question. It's so important to preserve the dignity and to speak of the people in a way that is that recognizes their dignity. And I love uh, how you answered that question. Because yes, we do know that it happens everywhere, but people do get pushed to the margins of culture and society. They may have a voice, but it might not be heard or honored. So we're really thankful for you. Lena Chandra is my guest today here on The Edge of Adventure, and she's joining us from Rachel House in Indonesia, where they provide palliative care to children with terminal illnesses. But I do want to know a little bit about your story. You alluded to it. You've already mentioned that your friend, Rachel, who had a terminal illness and was in pain, your friendship with her and watching her go through what she went through is a part of what gave birth to this calling. There's clearly a very deep personal connection that you have with the ones that are suffering. In my childhood years, I, I've always been different in a sense, you know, different from my family, different, seeing the world through a different lens. And um, I was also quite rebellious and quite a handful. And often when I was punished, I would be left pretty much on my own. And as a child, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand why I had to be left on my own, you know, in the depths of suffering, in the depths of basically feeling isolated. And, um, and I think those are the cries of, that I, I sought to heal and to care for. And hearing those children cry in that ward somehow must have triggered that little girl crying on her own that I tried to put aside for many, many years. And I came to Rachel House to start Rachel House when I was already in my late 30s. So I think to me that this whole journey has been an incredibly healing journey, understanding that there was a part of me that Rachel House was in fact uh, started because I was trying to heal some part of me. And you know, Adam, I didn't come to that in an easy way. Um, whenever there was a child who couldn't breathe, who needed oxygen, and at that time, in the early years of Rachel House, when our nurses didn't respond fast enough, like fast meaning like within an hour with and sending oxygen, I would 
be a horrible person to deal with. I would, you know, make sure that things that delivered, I thundered down. And I think that panic was not doing anyone a favor. It drove our team mad. And I was not an easy person to deal with. And eventually I had to go and see a therapist and say, what's going on? And, and that took me down the path of understanding that I was reacting. I was reacting to a very old pain. And understanding that made me a much better person to be with for our team and allowed me to really understand. And finally, living the vision in a much calmer way. Over the years, we've understood that Rachel House comes through all of us, that the vision and the mission comes through us. We are currently the holder of this vision that is much larger than all of us put together. And walking this journey in Rachel House, in a way, all of us within the team, whether or not they're new, eventually they'll come to this understanding that things happen in a most beautiful way, because we are just holder of this torch for now. But there is a greater purpose that is beyond all of us put together. This is The Edge of Adventure. My name is Adam Asher. What a touching, meaningful conversation this is. We'll continue talking with Lena Chandra of Rachel House in just a moment. But of course, I do like to break the program here in the middle to share some good news. And I have some. The Edge of Adventure podcast was honored recently at the W3 Awards, and we received the Gold Award in the podcast documentary category. As you might suspect from their name, the W3 Awards celebrate the best in digital media. And this year, they chose to recognize the Edge of Adventure, and this is thanks to the hard work of the Edge team, of course, and also it's thanks to you because you listen so consistently, because you share the podcast with your friends and family, and because you are reaching out to these amazing organizations that we feature to encourage them. So I am, yeah, of course, very proud today to share this bit of good news with you, because it is something that we are doing together. You are a part of this, and I'm grateful. Okay, so this new award is now the third bit of recognition this year. And it's, of course, all very encouraging. And it shows that there's momentum and excitement about what we're doing. And what are we doing? We're celebrating the service, the sacrifice, the vision, and the determination of the world's most unsung heroes. Those who are giving their lives to show love to those who desperately need to know that it exists. Like my guest today from Rachel House in Indonesia, Lena Chandra, on the award-winning podcast that we call The Edge of Adventure. Lena Chandra is my guest today from Rachel House in Indonesia. And of course, this is The Edge of Adventure. Lena, do the children understand what's going on? Do they understand the pain do they understand what it means to have a terminal illness? Oh, Adam, children have been the greatest teachers in this journey for me. Children under the age of 10 have an incredible wisdom. I think 
it's the wisdom we've all come with and that we we quickly forget because we're trying to adapt to this world. But the children under the age of 10 or nine actually, when they're in pain, they scream, they shout, they wanna die. And it's heartbreaking to see. And as soon as you alleviate and you soothe the pain, they wanna play, they want to eat. I'll share with you this story. In the early days when painkillers were not being used in hospitals among the doctors, we received some of our, this girl is some of probably our fifth patient. She was sent home by one of the largest hospitals in Jakarta with a brain tumor, stage four. And as our nurses walked up in their motorcycle, parked outside the girl's house, we heard pain, screaming child just from outside. And the nurse went in and saw this child screaming in pain and wanting to die. She was seven years old. And the mom said she had been screaming for three days since she had been sent home from the hospitals. And they were sent home with Panadol for stage four brain tumor. And our nurse at that time had codeine with them. Morphine was still not being used. And so she gave the child codeine, of course, checked with the doctor if that was okay. Within a few minutes, our nurse said bye. The child went to sleep. And when she woke up, and our nurse was still around, just making sure that the child is okay with the codeine, and the first thing she asked for was for something to eat. The child died two or three days after, but as the mom said to us, she didn't have to scream in pain again. She could spend the last few days quality time with the family without the family remembering her in that distress, in that pain. So children have an ability to live the moment. And there's another thing. We've had children who would whisper to our nurses and say, what would my mother do after I die? Would she be okay? And if we could get the mother to say to the child, it's okay. If it is your time, it's okay for you to leave. I'll be all right. And almost within the next 24 hours, the child would let go and would leave. So children under the age of nine have an ability to understand what is in a very matter-of-fact way. In fact, they would worry more about how would their parents cope with not having them around. Teenagers, as soon as we have children move into the age of 10, 11, 13, 15, grip onto life in a much stronger way. In fact, there's a lot of anger. Anger towards life, why me? Why when the rest of my friends are discovering life, discovering independence, the, the changes within in the body, why when they are celebrating that change, I'm looking at myself withering away. And so there is this incredible pain of emotions that we as palliative care team have to navigate and slowly bring them to that 
realization that this is the journey that they're on, different from their friends. Lena, how do you care for the families in this process? Family is an incredibly important part of our work, of our service. First, because for children, their families are the people who will care for them. Unlike adult patients who, even with our family sometimes, there is an expectation that they should be able to care for themselves. Not fair, perhaps, but that's the way the society is. But for children, they don't have the ability to take medications and uh, take care of themselves. So family then becomes the sphere of care and the care that we provide. And for Rachel House, there is this unwritten rule that if we are here to make sure that no child should ever have to live or die in pain, and if that pain is not only physical but emotional, then we need to make sure that parents are prepared for this journey completely to cope with the the symptoms, but also to cope with the emotional pain that the child is going through. Because if parents panic, then the child will feel that panic and the child will suffer. So first and foremost, we must prepare the parents for the journey ahead. We must be able to allow them to speak about their fears, their concerns, and to try to open the space up for them to really express their loss, their grief, and what they're seeing in front of them, the fear of the impending pain, complexities, and eventual death, if that's the journey ahead. And if that's not expressed, then I think we all know that there is this big white elephant or big elephant in a room that is not being spoken about. So we care for the family first and foremost because we know that the child is affected completely by what the family is not able to cope with or is not able to express. So we care for the family with through emotional presence, emotional allowing them to speak about their pain, but we also care for them making sure that they have all of the economic and financial assistance that they need in order to care for their child. So if they're worried about what will happen, they care for their child and they're not out there. Or often for a father who needs to go out to work, he would like to be there if the child's death is coming. And we will make sure that it's, that is possible for him. We will, or if the child keeps crying out for the father and say, please don't go out, then we will make sure that they don't have to worry about their food. We will make sure that they don't have to worry about the need to think about how are we going to get the transportation costs to take our child to the hospital. So we provide all of the financial assistance necessary uh, to make sure that those quality time is provided for uh, if the child needs to go to the hospital for transfusion or for another uh, care for treatment, then we will make sure that that is also made available. Lena, if Rachel House is picking up the cost, or as we say, picking up the tab, you're covering the cost, the procedures and the care, and then you're even saying there are times where you're stepping in to make sure that the family doesn't have to worry 
about food so that the father doesn't have to go work. The father or the mother can stay with the child who is perhaps in their last days. And what an important moment that is and so that they don't miss that. And how do you pay for that? Where did the funds come from to be able to do this? Rachel House, and thankfully, because we're now 15 years old, people are beginning to know of our presence. And because of social media, more and more people are learning about what we do. Things are so different now than 15 years ago. We are funded by individual donors. About 70% of our funding comes from individual donors and 20 to 30% from corporate donors. So the bulk of our work is through the generosity, made possible through the generosity of uh, individual donors. Lena Chandra is my guest today. We're talking Rachel House, we're talking Indonesia, and we're talking about this wonderful way that they care for children who are suffering in pain with terminal illnesses and the way that Lena and her team come alongside the patient, the child, and their families and care for them. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing that you guys are doing. I am honored to now know you and I can just imagine how beautiful your days are and also how heartbreaking. Tell me about the staff. I know you love the kids. Do you love the team? We have a golden rule in Rachel House that it is impossible to expect our team to take care of the children who are from some of the darkest, darkest in terms of emotions and complexities, darkest parts of Jakarta. It's impossible for us to expect them to walk down those streets and see the suffering, which is heartbreaking, that no one, no one deserves to experience it or even, you know, see it. Um, So it's impossible to expect our team to go down those paths every day if we don't care for them. So if anyone among our team members, if their families are ill, then we tell them, please go home, take care of your child, and uh, we'll carry the rest of the load. And that's been going on since we started. And so that's the most important part of our culture. And during the pandemic, It's just incredible to see how they take care of one another. When we first went through the the lockdown in March last year, some of our nurses are from the rural areas in, in Indonesia. So they are living in rented rooms. And in the beginning of the lockdown, we had our team members making sure that people are sending food to these nurses in their rented rooms, knowing that they can't access food. And so it is an incredible place to work in the sense that there is love um, and that comes first. And I think it it is a natural part of what we do now that if we want to give love, and I, I am not shy about talking about love because this is the way we work because there's no other word to describe what we do other than, you know, what we do day in, day out and things get so much worse and have gotten so much worse during the pandemic. If it is not love, what else can it be? So we, we work in a, in a beautiful little family. Lena, tell me about the connection between these two concepts, okay? Love and service. 
to serve, to be a servant to us is a privilege. If we weren't privileged, we wouldn't be able to be in the position to serve. And so it's an honor. So it is a well-known fact in Indonesia that nurses are not well-trained, are not well-respected. And so to get them when they first come into Rachel House, we need to first of all open their hearts. Because we can fill them with a lot of skills, a lot of knowledge, but if the heart is not mobilized, they can't see pain, they can't see why they should learn. The first thing we need to do is to open their hearts to feel, to feel that love. And it's remarkable, Adam. We see this in almost everyone, 99%, that as soon as that heart is mobilized and the courage to really, because you're among people whose hearts are open, then you have the courage to actually open your heart and freely talk about the fear and the pain that you're seeing. And to initially, and you know, they shed tears when you ask them about, how was your day today? What did you see? And the young nurses would just cry when they talk about, I remember this, I used to fly in and out. As I arrived, I would sit with a team of nurses and I, and especially the new ones, I'll say, Ria, tell me about your patient today. And then tears would flow down and say, I, I was in this house so tiny. There's seven people living in that house. And at night when they sleep, they would sleep like sardines where they would alternate. You know, some would have their heads there and some would have their feet there. But they can't all sleep lying down, so they would sleep sitting up. And they're rats as big as Padadan, so are we have a male nurse, Padadan's shoes. And this nurse would be just crying, and she said, my patient had a bite by the rats on his abdomen. And these are the suffering they saw when they first arrived at Rachel House. They would continue to have their hearts break. And if we don't encourage them to keep their hearts open, the hearts would shut down because you would feel so afraid that there is nothing you can do to alleviate most of this suffering other than perhaps stand by some of your patients. And this accompanying requires love, requires service, requires the commitment to just showing up no matter what. And where many would have feared and would have run away, because we encourage this presencing and loving and the courage to serve that our nurses will continue to show up. And Adam, as they commit themselves to that path, they know that they are the voice. They are the only hope and lifeline to hope for a lot of their patients. And because of that, this incredible commitment to serve will give the nurses the courage to learn English to find Google Translate, to find journals, to help them understand the journey and the trajectory of disease that their patients are going through. And without this commitment to service and to commitment to serve, given encouraged and given the courage by love, I don't think our nurses or any of the nurses would have had the determination 
to wade through the Google journals in English when they had no English to begin with. So I see that is the link between love and service, the courage given to serve by love. Lena Chandra is our guest today, right here on the Edge of Adventure. And we're talking about Rachel House and their work in Indonesia and the care they provide to children of marginalized communities, children perhaps who, who have really no hope of their own or that the parent can't provide the, the kind of care they need. And Rachel House is able to step in, thanks to the wonderful donors and the wonderful team, they're able to step in and help the patients and help the families. And before we wrap up today, I do have a, a couple of other points I want to be sure that we that we get to. You said something, though, about painkillers, pain medication. Is there something cultural at play here that is sort of pushing away the, the concept of using pain medication? When we started, painkillers, it's not that it's just expensive, but painkillers are not used. Because I think immediate release morphine is not an expensive drug but it's not used, it wasn't used. Doctors were not trained to treat pain and to focus on pain. Doctors are trained in Indonesia to treat disease, but not to treat pain. And in fact, some of the doctors have told me that pain is a way for them to actually see, find their way to the source. And if you treat the pain, then you would miss out on what is the source of the pain. So that's one on the medical side. The other side of it is culturally the belief that sickness, illness, and pain that comes with it is our lot in life, is fate. And so that's just it. And I think perhaps that has come, Adam, because of the sheer poverty sheer destitution. You know, you've come to a place where you believe that this is just my, my laws in life. I just have to go through this. Perhaps through generations and decades of pain untreated, seeing that there's really nothing that you can do. In the last 15 years, things have changed. When we first started, you know, as I mentioned, our nurses had codeine. And we started also going into cancer shelters or shelters that looked after children with living with cancer because patients that come through all over Indonesia and often they don't have accommodation. So there are shelters that are built to look after these children. And some of the mothers would say when their children are in pain, they would call out and say, call Rachel House, they have the magic pill. And that's how culture started to change. And slowly parents are beginning to understand that my child does not need to be left in pain. It's not that the battle is over. We still have a lot of resistance, uh, both from the medical field and also the patients, the families, about morphine, about painkillers. Uh, morphine in particular. There's a lot of fear around morphine, fear that children, patients would die if they were given morphine, fear of addiction. And so there is still a lot of fear, but things are beginning to change. We don't have a lot of the troubles that 
what you're seeing in, in the United States about oxycodone and everything, that's where we haven't actually gone to that side of the swing yet. Lena, what do you love most about this amazing opportunity that you have? Adam, I wouldn't have said this 15 years ago, but today I truly see this as an incredible honor. I've grown more than I feel I have given. So I've received infinitely more than what I've given. I've learned that the heart has so much space. I've learned the wisdom of the heart and the brain is an accompanying tool. So this incredible wealth and just the well of love that one can dip into that is never ending. And that's what I love most, the privilege and the honor. Sure, there's heartbreak. Sure, there's incredible frustration. Changing mindset is not an easy path to take. Uh, and it doesn't happen overnight. But it's an incredible privilege. Lina Chandra is my guest today. She's joining us from Rachel House in Indonesia. And this is The Edge of Adventure. My name is Adam Asher, and it is always a great honor and a great privilege to be able to talk with someone like Lena, to get to know her. And drawing close to the end of the program here, I've got time for maybe another couple of questions, but I did want to ask you, what would help you? What's the help that Rachel House needs? There is so much, but I think I will start with Rachel House has a grand vision that, as we had talked about, that no child should ever have to live or die in pain. To get there, even if it's just for Indonesia, we need to have people who believe that pain is intolerable, that we all have the same wish when we are sick, that we're not left in pain to suffer. To get there, we need to have people and all of us commit to the courage to witness, to see pain, and to act on, and to take action to alleviate pain, whether it's physical or emotional. And two things that will make it possible. One is to return humanity to medicine, to have the courage for doctors and nurses to look at pain and to treat pain. And in order to do that, we need to have training. We need to basically have the ability to distribute and to disseminate this idea, this concept, this training, and coupled with the courage to mobilize heart. And the other part is stronger than ever, is this whole sense of community that it's only when we have the world believing that this is possible that can we actually bring this to fruition. So through your community, Adam, through the community in the world, through the community in Indonesia, I hope we can actually have a strong voice that will mobilize heart, to ensure that no child will ever have to live or die in pain. 
you haven't mentioned it, but I would love for anyone who's watching this or viewing or, or listening, if you feel called to support them in some way, please do so, whether that's financially or just to send them a message of encouragement or to share their story on social media. Like Lena was explaining a few minutes ago, life has changed so much. And now by sharing their information, by sharing their story or by sharing this podcast, you can help them. You really can. But of course, it also takes financial partnerships. And so if you feel called to come alongside them in some way, please do so. And so as we now wrap the show, Lena, I would love for you to speak to the person out there who in some form or fashion is dealing with pain. Perhaps it's physical, as you've said. Perhaps it is emotional pain. Perhaps it is just the depressing realization of something, something that they're having to make their peace with, something maybe that's not fair, that is painful in some way, and they are faced with the prospect of having to live with this pain. Speak to that person, whatever type of pain they may be dealing with today. What advice, what does your heart say to that person? Pain can be debilitating. And often it feels like we're crushed in every which way, body and soul, by the pain that grips us. But it's like the words of Khalil Gibran that pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses our understanding. Given a chance when we don't grip as hard and when we release, perhaps we allow that trust to come in, that this too shall pass that we're not walking alone, that there will be light at the end. Lena Chandra has been my guest today here on The Edge of Adventure. She's the founder. She's a trustee for Rachel House in Indonesia. Look them up at rachel-house.org. You'll find them at Rachel House Indonesia on social media, across Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, so on and so forth. And of course, you can always connect with them. If that information gets by you, you can always connect with them simply by going to theedgeofadventure.com and go to the podcast page and you'll find their information and all the information from all these great organizations and people that we've been getting to know so that uh, you, you don't lose track of them. I want you in one way or another to get in touch with them. And maybe it's as simple as sending them a message and just letting them know you appreciate what they do because that kind of encouragement also goes a long way. So again, Lena, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for what you're doing. You're a remarkable person, and I think we've only just scratched the surface in terms of who you are and who all that Rachel House does. And um, I guess as we wrap the show, all, all that's really left for me to say is thank you for being who you are and for doing what you do. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for having me. My name is Adam Asher, and you've been listening to the Edge of Adventure podcast. To learn more, log on to theedgeofadventure.com. And while you're there, check out the video series where we go off the grid to discover some of the great things people are doing all around the globe to make the world a better place. I call it my search for adventure and purpose. You'll find us on social media too. Just look for the hashtag, The Edge of Adventure. 
Thanks for joining us. Always great to have you with us as together we aim to live life for something bigger than ourselves. This is The Edge of Adventure, where we go beyond status quo.